Bring the energy! Oh no. Eating them crispix, girl? Yeah, this is the segment where we come from the coming from the heart while we cook bacon. And uh and sit around and think about what I saw last night, which was that LeBron James that LeBron James first game is a LA Laker. What oh, we got in the fridge? Ooh, lemonade. Yeah, why not? First game as a Laker playing against the Portland Trailblazers. I should have picked up milk. Damn it. Quite a game, guys. I mean, I don't know if how you feel about it, but, you know, I'm not a Lakers fan, obviously. I'm not even a – I mean, I'm an NBA fan. I, I'm supporting the Suns because living in Arizona, you know, you want to find a team to support. And the fact that the uh, Supersonics don't exist anymore, as I knew them, there's no point, right? There's no point in following the OKC Thunder. So I'm supporting the uh, – the Suns, but let's talk about LeBron James. You know, this LA this LA thing, let's be real. I mean, he went to LA because he wants to have a life after basketball, and there's nothing wrong with that. I can't I can't begrudge a man that's thinking about his family. I'm a, I'm a guy that has multiple scenarios in my mind in terms of plan A, plan B, and plan C, and it seems like he has some thoughts about what he wants to do with his life, you know, and I think that's great. Uh, I think his... Uh, his production company, I think his show on HBO, if you haven't seen it, called The Shop, where he and a bunch of celebrities uh, sit around and basically just do ad hom, like these kind of talking points. We're basically Democratic talking points. Let's be completely honest with you. Uh, it's all superficial conversation. Um, all extremely wealthy, successful people. It's really hard to uh, to connect with it, I think, for most people. So he's trying to get into movies and television, but you know he's also playing in L.A. now, and everyone's super excited because they think Showtime's back. And I hate to break it to them, but Showtime's never going to come back the way that it was in the '80s with Magic and and Kareem and and Worthy and all that and all that jazz. And and the game last night was just—I mean, the first quarter was pretty exciting in terms of uh, of their play. But uh, the makeup of the Lakers is pretty terrible. And what's interesting about it is that uh, the uh, the pundits, of course, this morning come out and say it's okay. It's, it's you know he's got a young team. He's working with a young squad. It's like I don't think they realize if you actually look at the starting lineup last night when you have Javale McGee, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope. And Rajon Rondo in your starting five, that's not a young team. That is a bunch of veterans. And on the bench, you've got Michael Beasley and Lance Stevenson. Again, two veterans. Sure, you have a few young players and Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart and Kuz. But in reality, they're not a young team. They're not an old team. They're just pretty much the same. And, of course, they're trying to deflect blame on the fact that they lost last night. They're only down one with eight minutes left. And what did LeBron do? He did absolutely uh, nothing, man. He just kind of turned the ball over a few times and and only ended up with 26 points. So for me, one thing I love about the NBA season, I'll just say this, just kind of get it out of the way, is that I love the drama. I love the storylines, the subplots. Each team has its own little bit of drama through the year. 
the Rockets start off terribly on the on the first their first game when they lose to the Pelicans by I think it was 29 points and James Harden looks lazy. He's a lazy he's a lazy player on defense. Doesn't play defense. But it's just every team has something going on. So every day that I get up and I follow the scores, I got something to talk about or something to think about, something to enjoy. And I love the pundits on NBA radio, on Sirius XM. Of course, I love watching Chuck, Charles Barkley, Chuck Wagon, Shaq, and Kenny Smith on TNT. So there's always something to follow. And uh, that's what I love about it. It's just kind of, it's, it's, it's a look it's the opportunity to kind of, it's like, it's like a soap opera, you know, growing up, my, uh, my aunt, my grandma were really into, uh, Days of Our Lives, you guys know their soap operas, as the world turns, the young and the restless, you know, you had all these soap operas, now, and the NBA is a soap opera, I love it, and, uh, I love all the predictions, I love the fact that these morons on television, like Stephen A. Smith and the SJW Max Kellerman, Every day their positions change. They're so malleable because, of course, they want the access. They want the the uh, the plaudits from the fans. So they're always trying to shift and trying to find a position that's a positive position when in reality they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And that's one thing I love about podcasts and one thing I love about what YouTube offers. The way the mechanisms and manner in which information can be disseminated has now been essentially democratized in many ways. Unfortunately, you have companies like YouTube and Google, Facebook cracking down on what they deem to be uh, fake news, hate speech. But in general, in general, the ability for an individual like myself or anybody else that wants to start their own channel or their own outlet and talk sports, they can do that. And they can gain a decent following. They can make a living off of it. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And I think that does intimidate and worry and frustrate journalists that have spent years at going to school, getting that fantastic liberal arts degree that's worth its weight in paper. Basically, it's basically worth nothing. Uh, when they can get undercut by a blog created by an 18-year-old in his parents' house with a decent internet connection. So there you go. So that's, that, you know, that's what I want to say about LeBron is that it's just... Uh, it's just going to be something to follow. I'm going to be talking about sports all year long. So in this segment, I want to talk about, you know, something that's uh, it's coming out next week. Yeah, bacon's almost done, sweetie. We're getting there. And something about to drop on 26 October of 2018 that's basically going to change the landscape of video games. Oh, hey, honey. Hey, honey. Let me get the bacon out. Let me get the bacon out. Hold on. Talking about Red Dead Redemption 2. Unfortunately for my father. Back up, sweetie. Who's a big fan of the game. Main protagonist, John Marsden. Obviously, he's not in this one. Back up, Ross. Back up. Back up. Heat's going to get you from the hot bacon. And, uh... I wanted to talk about Red Dead. I wanted to talk about sandbox games in general. Hold on. Gosh, so desperate for for bacon. Okay, hold on, sweetie. Dang. This girl wants some bacon. 
No, really, I wanted to talk about sandbox games. Um, Red, that's similar to Red Dead Redemption 2, uh, Grand Theft Auto, essentially any open world game. Many, many of Ubisoft's games nowadays, Assassin's Creed, what, Far Cry series, they're all open, they're all open world sandbox style games. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I, my personality, um, I just can't handle the sandbox experience. And that's why I'm kind of on the fence about this whole Red Dead Red Dead release is that I remember playing the original Red Dead and I loved it because it was a it was a, a Wild West setting which is unique. Where was I? I apologize. I had to I had to pause the segment for a second to try a little bit of bacon. I'm telling you guys, Walmart's great value bacon. There's something about it. It's so salty. It's it's heaven. It's a heavenly bacon. For its salt content. But anyway, my concern, you know, my concern with Red Dead really is that, um, not that it's not going to sell like crazy and be reviewed positively by the media. That's all going to happen. That's, a, that's, that's like a foregone conclusion. Any, any, basically anything Rockstar puts out is basically solid gold and it's going to print a ridiculous amount of money. If you guys did not know, Grand Theft Auto V is the highest grossing enterta- piece of entertainment in the history of the world, ever, and it just continues to make money, and it does so because of the uh, is GTA Online, which again is something that I've never. I tried getting into it, and just get overrun by thirteen-year-olds, so it's just not very enjoyable. But um, my my primary concern with with Red Dead, and this is a personal thing, and some of you may feel the same way, some of you may disagree with me, and love sandbox and open-world games, is that. One things I, I one thing that really bothers me about game design nowadays is the focus on extending a game by grinding. So developers they create this open world, and there's obviously story missions throughout a, a given world, be it Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, like I said, the Ubisoft game structure, uh, and then of course Grand Theft Auto is the same way. And then there's the side quests, but then there's those side quests oftentimes are just a pain in the ass. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. They are a pain in the ass. And that is often because a, a, uh, a developer wants to lengthen the game to make you feel like you're getting your money's worth. Or, in the case of the new Assassin's Creed, there's that thought that perhaps they're making the game more grindy as a means to push you towards microtransactions, to spend money to get past the grind. Um, I personally... Uh, I hate grinding. I hate the moment I feel a game has me grind. I, I've basically become turned off to it. And I think this is before I fully understood that about myself. I think that is what drew me so much to the Metal Gear Solid series from Hideo Kojima and Konami. Um, not, and I'm I'm excluding the newest, most recent uh, Metal Gear Solid Five, which was extremely grindy. Uh, and, and if you actually end up finding about finding out about the development process, Kojima was basically run out of that. And um, you know, the Metal Gear Solid series, at least one through four, got a lot of flack in some respects because people said they're like a mo- basically you're playing a movie. Uh, you do a lot of watching of cutscenes, then you play. But one thing they never did is they never made you grind. I actually sat down and thought about Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid Two, Sons of Liberty. Snake Eater, which is the third, and then the fourth, which is Guns of the Patriots. And I cannot think of really any time where I felt like there was a mission or a objective 
that made me redo a certain section of the game or where I felt it was unnecessary to the storyline. Everything felt very linear. Like you essentially are walking down the path that the developer set out for you to do. Some people don't like that. Some people don't like being caged in. They want the freedom to do whatever they want, whenever they want. And as, although I respect that and I completely understand that position, for me, I want to be told a story. The reason why I play games is to escape. And um, I want to experience the story as the developer intended. And that's why I'm okay with giving over control to the developer to push me down that story path, that, that, that path to experience the story arc. That's what I enjoy. That's why I like strong single player, more bacon. That's why I like strong single player games. That's why games like Uncharted, there is no grind in Uncharted. There's point A to point B to point C. You're never going back to point A as a means to push the story forward. It's a movie. It's like watching Indiana Jones. You never sat down to watch Indiana Jones and then Indiana Jones was asked in the middle of the movie to go find five green stones to bring back to this one person so then they can make an, uh, you know, an, a weapon or so, whatever. You guys understand what I'm talking about. There's, there's, there's no mechanism like that. It's just, it's just you're always continuing to push forward to the end of the story. So that's my concern with Red Dead is that as someone that has stepped away from gaming, I stepped away from gaming months ago. I mean, probably years ago, really, but I didn't get rid of the mechanisms to play the game. I didn't get rid of my PS4 until a few months ago. I actually got rid of it. And uh, I haven't really missed gaming, but a part of me is thinking maybe I want to get back into it at some point. But my concern is that you pick up a game like Red Dead, you think to yourself, this is going to be great. You get into it, it is great, but then you get to those grindy moments where you're like, I'm not enjoying this as much. And that's my concern. But it's funny because there's a game like Skyrim, which is completely open world, uh, completely sandbox, and I loved it. I spent probably 100 plus hours in that world, and I think that's because of the milieu, the setting, the lore of that attracted me to it. Perhaps Red Dead will do the same because it's that Wild West, it's the 1800s, it's a... It's, uh, it's such a departure from what we get with the other GTA series that maybe there'll be something about it that I like. But I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. Uh, feel free to comment and uh, let me know. I think you can comment on this through podcast. Who knows? But uh, that's this week's Game Talk.